Welcome back, everyone. It's another episode of Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast. I'm Tim Lindsay. And I'm Christian Bonner. It's been an extraordinarily long hiatus this time around. We had all sorts of plans and dreams and hopes and wishes for how we would return, but circumstances have kind of forced our hand into coming back to just address some news that's come out this week. Um, we were all set. We were going to talk about the tour coming up, recently rescheduled. We were going to talk about the new version of the Copacabana Beach show that just came out. We were going to talk about other upcoming projects, but that all went by the wayside. Yeah. And the unfortunate fact of the matter is that Charlie Watts has to miss the first Rolling Stones shows I think he's ever sat out since Lyndon B. Johnson was president in 1964. (laughs) A friend of mine, and I had to look this up, but a friend of mine was like, they got to get Cargo Little back. And I was like, what? (laughs) And yeah, yeah, he was was an early... Because, you know, they've had three lead guitar players, you know, and other people have sat in. They've had two bass players. Many other people have played bass coming and going. Keith sings some songs. You know, my other friends and I have talked about this. There's no version of the Rolling Stones until what, September something of this year without Charlie Watts. Yeah, there was one Jimmy Nickel type situation in 64 where he had to miss a show. And that's the only example in their 50, what, 58 year history, 59. Yeah. Some people will say, okay, Jimmy Miller played drums on this and that, and um, Kenny Jones is on It's Only Rock and Roll, or What's-His-Face is on Scarlet. I think it's different in the studio. I'm not sure that that really counts. But uh, anybody who didn't hear the whole press release, uh, Charlie had some health issue that cropped up just as soon as they were ready to roll out the tour dates. And uh, he's recovered from the surgery he had to take, but unfortunately... He needs a little bit more time to fully recuperate at home on bed rest, I would imagine, uh, being an 80-year-old man during a global pandemic, going right back out on tour in a couple of weeks is probably not ideal. But best wishes for a speedy recovery. Yeah, I think I really noticed how invested I was in, in him, you know, yeah, <laughs> as a person. And obviously, like... I'm a big fan and, and I talk about him a lot, but like you, you really start to get a little bit more worried about stuff like this as they get, you know, when Woody, Woody beat lung cancer, that's another thing that's happened since we've been away. Woody beat lung cancer again. Yeah. During lockdown, he had to go through a second round of treatment. I think he actually did the chemo this time that he was able to avoid. Yeah. Cause yeah. his hair is gone. But for some reason with Woody, I was like, Oh, he'll, he'll bounce back, you know, I, I don't know. It didn't like it's great that he beat it and, and, and I'm not trying to make light of it or anything, but there was this sense with Woody that he was gonna beat it. And Charlie beat throat cancer. Yeah, right around two thousand five, early two thousand five when they were making Baker Bang. So maybe they'll make another studio record. Well that's the word. I don't know. Like <laughs> maybe they'll finally do it. Yeah, the happier news that we discovered was that uh Woody was talking about what he'd been do- up to over lockdown aside from recovering and uh the word is that Mick and him were in London working on overdubs for some unreleased tracks that are going to end up on the deluxe version of Tattoo U coming out for its 40th anniversary later this year. Yeah, and I, I think there's been some deliberate muddying of the waters by the press because a lot of people are saying it's for their new record. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's for the deluxe Tattoo U. And the, the same thing in a lot of the articles about Charlie, they... They said, like, oh, he'll hate to miss their 
planned 60th anniversary tour and their new album that will come out in 2022. And I'm like, you don't know that. Yeah, no, there's no way to know that that's actually going to happen. I hope it happens. That would be great. We want it to happen because then they're going to go on tour for another <laughs> 10 years. It'll be the 60 and counting tour. Uh, we want that. But I, I want their new record, you know. Yeah, if there's enough in the can that they actually have like a big album rollout planned and it's not just going to be another single or another EP or whatever, I would hope that that would be the case. And they would put all the bells and whistles and stage props and all the tie-ins. I think with No Filter, they've really arrived at a great way to play to those really big audiences and present a good show without having to cart around quite as many oodles and oodles of stage gear that they had to for Steel Wheels and for Voodoo Lounge Though, and I mean, Bridges. The one thing is I think that the crews would really yeah, like it. They now. would love the work, yeah. You know, I, I think people would really love the work. Um, you know, I don't know, though, if they're going to do it. Well, this is the thing, too, is that, you know, as the pandemic's progressed, we've been cautiously optimistic about this fall season coming back to where it hopefully can make those crews' livelihoods come back. Uh, there's been small sort of ramping up of live touring happening at a smaller scale. But with the virus behaving the way it is currently, I think a lot of people are staying away, and understandably so. Mm-hmm. They were kind of forced into this position of having to get a replacement drummer rather than postpone again, just because it's been so long since this was announced. I thought that it was nice that it acknowledged that in the statement. We, we don't want to keep everybody waiting. And again, they can't default on the insurance again. They just did this yeah. two years ago, even though it feels like 800 years ago. It was not that long ago Mick had to do this. You know, obviously, there, if you don't know who is replacing them, it is, again, called by this show that the only person who could do it is Steve Jordan. Truly the only man for the job. And he was picked by Charlie. Yeah. I don't think Keith would go out there with anybody else. Yeah, I think Keith Keith will be very comfortable with Steve up there. I think we're going to hear some interesting new arrangements. But George Rosselli is probably yeah. like <laughs> sitting next to his phone. Yeah, you know? he, could, he could do it, yeah. Actually, there's a couple people like Jeremy Stacy, who's been playing with Tom Jones and King Crimson and various Noel Gallagher, other people like that. He's a great drummer and he's got a good jazz feel. But yeah, I think with given his history, I mean, Steve Jordan's been playing with Keith Richards longer than I've been alive. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. that tells you something there. And if anybody's not familiar with his pedigree, um, Rick Beato, who I know Christian and I are, are fans of, he is a YouTube interview. Every, every year I get older, I'm more of a fan of Rick Beato. <laughs> more middle-aged, I get. <laughs> but go on, on YouTube and watch his interview with Steve Jordan. It's an hour long. Yeah, it's quite good. And... About half of it, and I'm not exaggerating, is just Steve Jordan listing influences as far as drummers, and he has an encyclopedic knowledge. Well, and a lot of complaining. You know, they could have done it on a <laughs> on a bench, and I think it would have been great to do it at a park bench by the duck pond. But one of the things, I think it's in that interview, but he talks about bands that have lost their drummers and how it's changed their sound. And we're not talking about losing Charlie, you know, but... He is sensitive to this. He knows what it's like. You know, I was saying earlier, I think ACDC changes more whenever Phil Rudd gets into some uh, situation where he can't play. <laughs> yeah, some uh, scrape. And, and just Google mishap. that if you, if you feel like it. Then 
replacing the singer. Honestly, I think it changes the the vibe of the band more. What, drumming is a one person department in in rock bands. I agree with you. And musos like ourselves, who are huge Charlie Watts fans, agree. And obviously, I go to see Charlie just as much as anybody else. Like I've been fascinated with his style and his approach from the first time I've seen him. So, yes, but since you bring up ACDC, notably when Brian Johnson had to bow out of the tour for health problems oh, a few years I ago. F- I forgot about that. They offered refunds to anybody who had tickets and didn't want to go because it was Axl Rose filling in for him. And yeah, yeah. I think in this case, if there's a big demand for it, obviously I think they'll you know respond in kind, but... I don't think it's the same situation for public at large. Like I think people are going no, to see no, Mick and I Keith agree. and they're going to hear the songs and they're going to hear Mick and Keith play them the way they've always sort of played them. Yes, I agree. As far as as far as most people are concerned, but I I have seen people say there's no there's no Stones show in a Facebook group that I happen to run. <laughs> uh Charlie Watts is the best drummer. I was going to I was going to say it's time to start Steve Jordan is the second best drummer of all time. <laughs> Charlie's still number one, but there you do see people who say, you know, um, no, 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 Charlie, no Stones, you know, and and Keith is one of these people, but you know, it, it's got to go on. And I was, again, this is a horrible thing to even contemplate, you know, but I think it could be like the Buddy Rich band, right? I think the band is of such cultural importance that it's obviously you can't say it's the Rolling Stones after a certain point. But I do think that if it were, you know, Bernard and whoever else was kind of left and available playing those same songs, I'd still go to see that. Yeah. I think it's worth it. It becomes the Rolling Stones experience at a certain point. It's not the same thing, but I still think that it's important. I could see them evolving into that kind of institution further down the line. I mean... Obviously, you, you, there's the prob- the philosophical problem of how many parts can you change before it's no longer the original. But and and that's why I think you'd have to call it, you know, the Rolling Stones experience or something. As that man said to me when we saw Brian Wilson, Mike Love, and the guys he found at the gas station. <laughs> uh, not that we want to get into that, but it's a true story. Is John Stamos <laughs> going to fill in for Keith if he gets sick on the next day? Yeah, he was my favorite. <laughs> well, Blondie Chaplin. We do have Blondie Chaplin in, in common. That's there. right. Yeah. So, but there's enough. They would have to brand it correctly. I mean, I think Leonard Skinner going out there with like a bunch of guys who are 20 and the one like just most haggard bass player you've ever seen in your life hanging on for dear life. You know, I think it gets a little bit disingenuous at that point. But there are people who say they should have packed it in when Brian died or yeah. they've never been the same since. You know, this this is the... To them, performing is of innate value. They're like their their blues heroes, and and to them, it's it's a way of life. It's not about the idea of a band, right? Like that, th- there's a thing where you go, okay, this is a concept, and when the concept has run its course, there's no more of it. Mm-hmm. One might say that the Beatles were like that. I'm not trying to stir the pot, but you know, at a certain point, the idea of Beatleness or Beatledom ran its course and they didn't want to do it anymore. You know, it's different for them. Yeah. And they, they get a say if they want to keep going, that's fine. You know, they're obviously not going to be able to charge the same amount. Actually, and a good analog I think is the Bowie shows that Bernard and Earl Slick and everybody have been doing. Now that is just an unbelievable night of music. 
it's it's quite reasonable. For, your your music dollar goes very far with that band. Yeah, and you get an unbelievable show, and you know what you're getting going in. It's going to be yeah. various singers. It's going to be a couple of continuous links to the past via Mike Garson and whomever else everybody, is out there. Yeah, and everybody there has a connection with the kind of with the exception of Bernard, but. I, I, I'm happy to see Bernard do just about anything. Of course, So yeah. I don't particularly care. But I think it's a different case where there's extenuating circumstances. Like, everybody was very saddened, of course, this week also to hear about uh, Dusty Hill from ZZ Top having to, yeah. you know, drop out of the tour and then very sadly passed away just, you know, as they were about to go on and continue without him. Um, and that's, a, you know, they're the only three-piece. I mean, that's that's a third of the band gone right it's a different it's a very different thing there there's never been any version of them that didn't have the three of them well not for 50 years i mean yeah there's some proto zz top recordings but yeah the moving 50 years yeah literally yeah there's been no other lineup (laughs) no it's it's astounding i i didn't put it together until i watched that movie but they are they are really unique in that way well it's a very sad situation for their fans and their the family of the band and everything but again it's COVID and people are relying on these shows. Like we need rock and roll to come back. And at a certain point, mm. the greater good prevails and the show must go on um, to throw several cliches in once. Tired, tired old, old <laughs> cliches there. Um, have I said um, the word unprecedented yet? This episode, <laughs> we're all getting real yes, tired. We hope these. this podcast finds you well in these <laughs> unprecedented times. Sorry, that's a little um, dark humor there for you. But um, yeah, we're, as we said, best of luck and best wishes to Charlie. Um, we hope it goes well. We hope he can come back. We hope Steve Jordan does an amazing job. I'm sure he will, in fact. I, I, I'm really keen to hear it, honestly. I mean, I, I love Charlie Watts so much, but it's it's like your your other buddy who you're also a huge fan of comes in to join you're walking down the road and your other friend comes along who you like just as much, you know, that's a, not a good metaphor, but <laughs> if you'd thrown a um, monkey Island <laughs> reference in there, maybe it would have landed. Herman Toothrot. Sure, okay. Yeah. It's like going to an Island and there's a guy already there and he's not wearing pants and he smells a bit funny, but he helps you get off. Okay. That's uh. for the, that's for the Oregon trail generation. Um, no, but see, I'm, I'm as, as much a fan in a different way of, of, you know, Steve Jordan's work with, uh, I listened to that John Mayer trio record cause Steve Jordan's on it and Pino Palladino, mm-hmm. you know, and that was enough for me. I'm a huge fan of him. I think it's going to be, those, those would be really cool shows to see if for no other reason than the historical value to them. I wonder now if this means that the Winos 93 show that I think was slated to come out later this year might get pushed back just because it may be considered inappropriate to steal the thunder from the tour. They were probably going to wait until after the tour to drop it anyway, but yeah. I got the the seven inch red vinyl for record store day of wicked as it seems and give me shelter. We're, we're glad because they, they were going to pull it if you didn't buy it. Well, I mean, somebody has got to buy these things. That's a great band. And that's the town and country club show. I think from 93 tour, which we've never heard in its entirety. Yeah. So I'm excited I, to hear that. I would really like to see something more from that tour. Um, I watched that. There's a PBS show on somebody's channel. It's on a video hosting site. I'm sorry. It's just, it's out there. I've seen it. Maybe I haven't. I don't know. Um, 
it's quite good, but you know, it's not it's not quite finished. You know, the way it's presented, it's a it's a broadcast mix, and it's quite good for a broadcast mix, but you still want it to be better. That might be a segue then to the Copacabana re-release. Now we we had this show or part of it anyway in the Biggest Bang DVD box set, and then it was not ported over to Blu-ray when they took the Zilker Park show from that set and put it on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. But now it's been tarted up and remixed, not by Clear Mountain again, no, I think did the broadcast mix, but by Sam Wheat, who's re-remixed several of Clear Mountain's work for the Stones now. Yeah, and obviously we have to pay our dues to Bob Clear Mountain, but I've really become a huge fan of Sam Wheat and the way he presents uh, their music. And this one, I think, has a really cool feature in that you really can't hear everything. You know, the guitar, most people, it's like they roll up the guitars and then you get a bit of everything else and that's it. I really like how you can hear the keys, you know, quite a lot of detail. Yeah. To the point where you're like, oh, there's a, like a phaser clav on Jumpin' Jack Flash, uh, at least for the beginning. You know, you yeah. can really hear Chuck's parts. And you can hear Blondie's uh, parts too, to a, a much greater extent, and not at the expense of Keith or Ronnie. Well, and that's what I was going to go, is that, you know, I know that around this time there were a lot of comments about the live mixes uh, at the at the shows themselves. People were complaining that the keyboards were too loud, and how it gets mixed on the venue isn't really up to the band, but you really get it all on this one. And I especially like the way that the drums sound. He He's really gotten into it. I think some of the first ones, there were a couple of things, you know, very small things that I would have said, like the maybe maybe not enough bass drum or um, this and that, just tiny little things. I know you had an issue with how the backing vocals were, but... Yeah, I think Bremen and the first, the Miami Voodoo Lounge Uncut show for me were a little dicey as far as how the mix was, but it's only gotten better since he did those two. Yeah, um... I, I immediately felt like, even if it wasn't all the way I was used to it, that it was like, oh no, no this guy's got something. Like let's let's uh, let's see where he goes. You know, I, I I responded to it immediately. But he's 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 really um, every one is a big development for me. I don't know how anybody else feels about it, but I feel like we're watching the growth of Mr. Sam Wheat <laughs> through these shows. As for the performance, I do kind of get why some of this was cut down. And I don't necessarily mean that disparagingly. Uh, Big festival shows, the excitement, I feel a lot of the time kind of overwhelms everything. And you can really tell everybody's having quite a lot of fun, but it isn't quite um, as tight. And that's something that I do feel was prominent on that tour. But the rockers are really good on this on this tour for that reason, I think, because it's just kind of unhinged. But I would have liked to hear a, a little bit of a tighter "This Place Is Empty." Um, you know, I think that's a really good song, and sometimes, sometimes Keith doesn't really put the effort into. I don't want to mean say this rudely, but I mean he he's always on the edge there. He doesn't over rehearse himself. He's in no danger of that. Um, and with that comes that wonderful intuitive thing of he's kind of figuring it out as he goes and it's always on the edge of falling apart, which we like, but it can also be kind of like, you know, maybe maybe get it together a little bit. It's definitely one that I'm glad we have in better 
in a better presentation than before. I'm glad we have the whole show. Yeah, I haven't directly compared side by side the video, so I don't know if they've re-edited it, but I imagine they probably threw a few extra angles in. I'd be surprised if they didn't re-edit it. That's been the case before for like the Voodoo Lounge and Cut one and maybe one of the other pay-per-views that's been re-released. They've gone back and, and cleaned up the edit a bit more. And obviously yeah. with the Blu-ray version, you get a little bit better um, upscaling than your own TV can do or your own you know, media player could do in a professional house. So that's as good as it's going to look, even though it was only shot in standard definition. As we've been doing, we've been sitting around watching a lot of TV. And what I've noticed, we're just watching HBO's Rome. It's been out off the air for a really long time, but it's still, still a pretty good show. And I noticed, like, this is this a little bit, this show's a little bit earlier, but I was like, damn, this is 20 years old. Like, but it doesn't look like I imagine something. Like, if you look at, if you look at something in 2000 at the millennium, if you looked at, you know, how, uh, um, how Ashby's Let's Spend the Night Together, like, you'd be like, ugh, you know? You, you, that, that wouldn't read to you as modern at all. Now that we're firmly into this digital era, I don't really see that huge a difference, even though I know that it's standard def and all that. Like, I'm not saying I can't tell the difference between that and, you know, 1917, but like, it's not quite the stark difference from going what I remember those, those time gaps being like, I don't know if this point is making sense. No, I think, I think I know where you're going. Yeah. I think there's, there's a sensibility for how shows are directed and how concerts are shot that has pretty much been the same since the MTV era, if you like. Whereas if you go back and look at, you know, those shows that survive from the seventies and the eighties, they were basically just capturing whatever they could and then salvaging it in the editing room to like get rid of all the glaring mistakes as much as they could. And there was no, yeah, there's no time code, no ability to sync anything. No. So definitely, if you look at it comparing like, the steel wheels one, like video quality alone, like, you know, the sound on that, that steel wheels show is unbelievable, but the video you can definitely see it's it's starting to get to the point where it's through the mists of time as uh, ACDC says. Yes. Now the bonus show that's only in the deluxe box version of this release from Salt Lake city in 2005, one or two songs were broadcast during the American music awards and none of the rest of this video has been seen before. And it was for me anyway, pretty startlingly revelatory to watch this. I I like that one a lot. Uh, I was kind of disappointed that that didn't, merit its own release to be honest in, in a way it, it's good that they're paired together because as you say there are some like overexcitable or edgy moments in Copacabana and then you kind of get a more relaxed version of the indoor arena show presentation on the other side so by mixing and matching the two you sort of get two different sides of that same tour in two different two very different contexts I mean talk about Salt Lake City I mean you know, a bunch of yeah, yeah, yeah. Mormons Coming yeah, for their Friday versus night, versus like they're whipping their t-shirts around in the and they're all everybody's wet and yeah. taking their tops off. Yeah, I I know that I've said repeatedly that there's not a bad horn chart in the Rolling Stones catalog, but I thought that the putting horns on Infamy mm. in that that was kind of like it was. I'm not it, sure. I don't know. Yeah, that's it's, necessary. I haven't made up my mind on it. It's not bad at all, but yeah. I think. 
the beauty of infamy is that it's kind of harmonically and atmospherically very vague uh, and mysterious. You know, it doesn't quite tell you which way it's going. Yeah. And, and I thought some of the, the harmony in, in adding the horns there uh, made it a little too uh, major and bright and happy. Interesting. Uh, it's well played and everything, but it, it, it kind of sounded more triumphant and celebratory. Yeah, now that you've articulated it, you think you've really, yeah, you've put your finger on something that I kind of noticed, but I wasn't really sure what was going on, but that you're right. There's like an implied, ambiguous home key or harmony, and the horns make it explicit. Yeah, because and that's the beauty of how blues tends to work. Right. In that in that you can use the major pentatonic or the minor pentatonic or you can use a lot of chromaticism because because of how vague the chord structure usually are. And it's fifths and fifths and sevenths for the musically literate. And I'm not pretending I am one of those people, but I know that much at least. So some of those choices, you know, when it goes like da da da, da, it's just a little too like, eh, you know. Yeah. I get that people feel that way about Jumpin' Jack Flash when they play horns on Jumpin' Jack Flash, and now I know how they feel. <laughs> yeah, you I know? think, though, that the horn with Jumpin' Jack Flash, I think that it's a little bit more in line with... I mean, for one thing, I've never really known a world where that wasn't the case in the live show. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But that feels more right to me. It serves a different purpose, say, at the end of the set, when you've got to be like, hey, we're wrapping it up. Yeah, you know, and they just gotta they they want to give you their money's worth, and you just give everything. Like I, I yeah, remember these guys from before. You're yeah. there again. Yeah, <laughs> we paid for them, so yeah, it's not so much about like the presence of horns or anything, but that song, the beauty of it to me is its ambiguity, and that's I, I understand because it's like it's kind of sparse. Maybe we'll put something in there. Keith likes horns. It's just one that I might have tweaked a little bit more to be a little bit kind of dronier and because it's really just one chord that song yeah it's just sits on an f sharp and it kind of does that shuffly thing and then and then there's that moment where it goes to an a for anyone who wants to learn how to play the song it's like the bridge of the song really and like yeah that that gets a little brighter because it's this moment of like hey maybe there's hope or whatever and then it just goes back to that groove it just didn't seem to be the best that that could have been. It's a very, very rare example where I actually have an issue with an arrangement choice there. Well, this is why we also need to have Light the Fuse at the Phoenix on video in the Blu-ray remastered edition, if all those tapes still exist from the video that they shot. I would find it very hard to believe that they don't. Um, given, Given the extent of what they have, I mean, it's just it would just be shocking to me if they didn't have it. I can't think of another example. I'm sure there are some, but I can't off the top of my head think of an example where they started a tour with an arrangement that didn't have... I guess on the Tattoo U tour, they got the sax player later on, so the early, early shows didn't have it, but... Oh, you mean like, that, start, like changing an arrangement through the tour? Mid-tour, yeah. Mm. They, I, come to think of it, it, it seems likely that it's it would be more likely if they hadn't done it but it's hard to think of when because when, we don't have like if they did what fish did where and I'm, we shouldn't try to emulate fish yeah why you gotta bring that stink on this podcast 
we've lost all attempt at social niceties because of the pandemic, I think. <laughs> but if they put out every show from a tour, and make no mistake, I would buy it. You know, I would buy the whole No Security Tour. Sure. Um, yeah. I think it's harder to it's harder to say if they've if they've changed it in any big way because we don't have that. We have the one pay-per-view usually from each tour. I mean, at this point, weirdly, I remember thinking like, hey, there's not really anything from Steel Wheels. There's just Live at the Max, and that doesn't really count because it's all faked and overdubbed. Yeah, now you've got Tokyo Dome, Return to Tokyo Dome. <laughs> Beyond the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, you've yeah. got the Trump Returns, Keith's yeah, yeah, Revenge. Revenge, revenge of <laughs> Live at the Max, and you've got Flashpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're pretty covered now. And you've got the Rare Wheels stuff from the other shows on the tour. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot now. And, you know, there's obviously a ton that I would still... I have no limit, it seems, to my interest in this. You know, whether or not that they're justified in putting that out from a business perspective, I don't know. That No Security club show where they play Moon Is Up and Brand New Oof. Car and, like, half of Voodoo Lounge and they open with Shattered, like... That's the that's the yeah. holy grail here. Like that's what we want. I really think Paris Olympia from the Lex tour is probably next in line to get this treatment because it's 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 similar vibe, but it was very well played and they did nail a lot of really rare stuff. I mean, they used the dance part one and I think one of Keith's songs for B sides. Uh, nearness of you. Nearness of you. That disc on four flicks is worth the price of the whole box the set. other one though i i'm with you like even when they screw up in that show when that box came out i went right to that disc it did not take a lot for me to jump on that but there's one more thing and it's the one it's the la that you don't have to mean it and beasts of burden from live licks that show is that the one solomon burke guests on as well it is it is okay yeah, that that's a contender. I think there's something weird going on with that. Everybody needs somebody to love. I'm I'm busting this wide open. I think they edited Solomon into another night's performance or something. There's, that's possible. There's something yeah. strange. I've never cared for the edits of that. I want Li- Live Licks is the first Pro Tools era live album, so that is quite possible that they flew him in figuratively. Not don't uh, try and put uh, Solomon Burke on an airplane. No, no, no. <laughs> Possible exception to that statement is no security. Pro Tools was around, but the, I don't know if it was done. I, I feel like that was the last like true all analog production. They might have mixed it to digital, but I think they probably yeah. did all the capturing and the edits and stuff in a real tape. While I have you, stripped is tape? Stripped was a multi-track digital recording, as a matter of fact. Is and that? we know that because we saw Apogee doing the conversion. They they tweeted a photo when they were yeah, retransferring yeah, 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 all that yeah. to high-res. So is that. But that was to ADAT. But yeah. I think they just mixed it on an SSL yeah, like you would, yeah, it would have a been, tape it would, recording. Yeah, 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 probably. Okay, that that's neither here nor there. That's not why you paid your money. <laughs> hey, for the money you're paying, this is a good show. Um <laughs> There are a couple things, maybe back to Copacabana. Nighttime is the right time. Oh, uh, yeah. D- okay, I have a thing to say about this. It is credited on the liner notes to that to 
uh, among other people, there's at least three names on it, but Roosevelt Sykes and Leroy Carr. Now, I'm a huge fan of Leroy Carr. Biggest fan of Leroy Carr you're going to find in your post of this. <laughs> um, that is a different song. Yeah. So, how does this happen? The Ray Charles version, I believe, is a riff on that song. Among Ray Charles, so this was a standard practice. If, if, if you were a jazz musician and somebody at the bar said, hey, can you play Cocktails for Two? You would go da, 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 and cocktails for two. You you would just you would just kind of yeah, fake your way through it. Fake your way through it and say the chorus. Now I listened to the Roosevelt Sykes "Nighttime Is the Right Time," and aside from it being called "Nighttime Is the Right Time," and maybe you kind of see where the backing vocal part. If you turn the horn horn line into a backing vocal part, you you've probably got something there. But I think Ray Charles was doing a riff on that song. But in any case, as far as the music publishers are concerned. That's actually a different song. It's it's credited differently. So that is mistakenly attributed. Somebody has gone on and said, oh, this is the oldest song called Nighttime is the Right Time, therefore this must be the original. And and on stage, Mick introduces it as a Ray Charles composition, which, which is not entirely that's accurate. Not entirely either. accurate either. That's that's another good point. But like the Margie Hendrix break in the middle that Lisa does, that's the that, Ray Letts arrangement oh, that they're oh, doing. Yeah. No, no, they are definitely doing the Ray Char- There's no that's that's the thing that kind of sent me down this because you know I'm a guy who likes to know things. There's a there's a thing out there I don't know. I like to know it. So I wanted to get to the bottom of this. And I like I love Roosevelt Sykes. Another interesting fact is that Leroy Carr never, as far as anyone knows, Leroy Carr never had any contact with with these people. So what they're assuming is that this is, they're being safe. It's like the, anybody seen my baby. They're crediting Leroy Carr out of presumably respect because of the song when the sun goes down. Now, astute followers of the show will know that there's another song derived from when the sun goes down. And that's Robert Johnson's love in vain. This is a thing that I really love. So if you're bored, just skip ahead. But (laughs) (laughs) when does somebody getting inspired by another song or doing their version of a song, when does that become a new song? Because you can still hear Ray Charles doing this practice uh, throughout his career. There's another song that he does called I'm Talking About You. And the verse is completely different. But I heard the chorus and I'm like, I know this song. Talking about yeah, you, yeah, nobody yeah, but you. It's definitely the Chuck Berry song. So when he heard something yeah. he liked, and this is, I in my world, this is fine. Just also change the chorus. You know, that's all I'd say. But he's he's creating there by picking and choosing what he thinks is is interesting and going along with it. So that's that's my thing about nighttime is the right time, which is wonderful. Yeah, and this both these performances, the Copacabana one and the Salt Lake City one, again, they both have their own merits. They both have a different vibe, yeah. and I'm glad that we both have both of them together now. If we could just get the Buddy Guy one that I know they shot, he breaks a string in it, but it's kind of all the better for it. You know, it's one of those one of those kind of nights. You can actually find that on a popular video streaming website as well. I think what we're trying to say is there's lots more 21st century gems. People have been saying, oh, they've covered this area and they've covered it again. And I, I'm i with you, Christian. I want more. Yeah, if you start me up, Gotta have it. I'll never stop. 
Um, I want to see the, I would love to see one from even like the 14 on fire zip code and counting tour. You know, I think, uh, especially no filter has been really good. Yeah. And those tracks from honk, that's not enough. No, I no, whole no. Show. Because that's the thing. I, I remember reading reviews of, of their live albums. I think it was live Lex where it's like, Oh, you know, live albums, they're not really a thing. And uh, they're a stupid souvenir postcard and whatever. It was just this horrible disparaging thing. And, and I, I was like, well, like there are things about that record I don't like, but it's, it's also really good. Like when that record is good, it's really good. And, you know, for people who did see the shows, they they do want to remember them, and that's fair. There, there's this endless thing about get your yayas out, right? Yeah, people love all of the weird choices on that record. And no one will <laughs> no one will listen to you if you say it's it's been doctored, and that's not the end of it, you know. But there's overdubs on that. There's overdubs on of you live, and what I like about the more and Flashpoint for that and matter. Flashpoint. As much as I love Flashpoint, I can really tell. That Mick re-recorded Jumpin' Jack Flash. Editing that um, "Sympathy for the Devil" solo down is actually genius. Like the the lick that it ends, how it comes out of the solo there is better than how it was played live. In in my opinion, yeah, that's that's. And if a, you go and watch the Tokyo Dome show, you can definitely hear the full unexpurgated. Take twenty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> check it out. And I'm not I'm not saying like if it's been worked on in any way, therefore it's invalid. I had a wonderful conversation with a guy who actually did some of the overdubs on Love You Live, and they're very minimal, he assures me. But they worked very hard at getting the feel right, and you know, Bill Bill was very driven to get it right. And that's the Elma Combo side. That's my favorite part of it. You know, I'm not saying that it invalidates it, but there's more to the Rolling Stones live experience than get your eye. So yeah, maybe that's the best Midnight Rambler. Certainly of that era. <laughs> I had a day, though, speaking of which, uh, for some reason, whenever they put out a new one of these, they always put Midnight Rambler on YouTube. Got to do the Midnight Rambler playlist. Do the Midnight I, Rambler I watched journey. I like four of them in a row uh, on one day, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I, I'm here. I still like it. Like, it's really good. Like, it's such a, such a dynamic song, and it's so different tour by tour but also it's the same and everything oh what what's happened i'm just gonna pause to take doggo out of his uh hiding place he can come hang, hang out I mean, all right well i'll just keep talking about midnight rambler tim has gone to take care of his his dog and i'm just sitting here so anyway if you have 40 minutes throw on every version of midnight rambler that's on youtube and tell me i'm wrong yeah, no, this is, I, you're right that this is, it's a different situation from the jam bands and the people who do record and put out every show, like, you know, your, your Metallica's, Metallica, yeah. yeah. You know, the set list does change a little bit, but that's not why we collect them. We're collecting them to hear those little tiny nuances and, and weird things that happen. And Well, and that, that cycle of like, maybe this time it'll be perfect. And it's, a, it's wrong, it's because the beauty of the Rolling Stones is that it's never perfect. That is the, I, I, I've changed my mind about this. You know, like I, I record and, oh yeah, I have to plug my single. I have a new single coming out soon. Um, if you oh, like yeah. the Rolling Stones. What's probably, it called, like Christian? It. And where can we find it? My new single is called Christine and it will be available on all streaming platforms 
You want you want it on title. It'll be in master quality. Ooh. It's on YouTube. We're working on a very exciting video for it. <laughs> it's going to be on Spotify. So don't forget to like and subscribe and hit the bell so you get the notifications. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if you can follow me, Altham Carson, on Spotify, or if you want to buy my last single on Bandcamp or something, which has a good margin for me, it does help. We, uh, musicians need the support right now and maybe it'll mean that we don't have to take six months between shows who knows <laughs> well you know i've been for anybody's curious i've been doing editing as a job now and you know i'm real excited to spend my day off editing this episode <laughs> but i really changed my mind about recording and i think this plays into the rolling stones because i think that they do a similar thing I've come up in the era where if something isn't right, you either do it till it is right, and then it's never really going to be right, so then you put it into Melodyne or something, and you correct it, and you make it all perfect and everything like that. And I realized that I've heard so many things that have been corrected and perfected, and I still hate them. So what does that mean? Music is, when it's recorded, is uh, something that's captured. It's a thing that happens in a time and a place. And for people like me, it's not a study of technique. It's an emanation of who I am, you know, and that's never going to be perfect because I'm not a perfect person and nobody's a perfect person. I was doing it earlier, right? Complaining about, oh, that this is a bit off or they're not really playing this right and perfect and whatever. And I, I think it was watching this one that I was like, you know, if you just shut up and enjoy it, you'll probably enjoy it. Because the, the last track in Salt Lake City, they're very excited. They've been playing on stage for 80 minutes or something like that. And Keith hits the satisfaction riff like 20% too fast, but they commit to it and they play the entire song way too fast. And it's great. Yeah. I didn't even really notice that, you know, but it's not about like people cling to this thing about like, that's out of time. That's not in tune because you can measure that. And where you can measure something, you can hide kind of in the idea that it's right. Or at very least, you can say, well, now I'm impervious to criticism. And guess what? People are going to criticize your hair, what, what you eat. You know, it doesn't matter. Those, those people will be there. The haters are going to be there no matter what. So you might as well do what you like. And honestly, it's not worth it to me. Yes, I can say I'd rather it went like this, like that. Who cares? You know, the, the, the beauty of this band is the power that they have as performers. It's not adherence to a tradition. You know, you can go through and get everybody, whatever, performance of Beethoven's Ninth, right? Like, which one is ever going to be perfect? None of them, ever. Well, right? you should follow like my that. Beethoven podcast and find out. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, no, you yeah. raise a good point, and I think this this wraps up the whole discussion because I feel like because uh, it's time to go anyway, right? Well, I, you know, <laughs> I got to put the baby to bed, but also it's it's bringing it full circle because yes, I mean Charlie will be there in spirit. I mean, we know that this is uh, upsetting for a lot of people. We know there's a lot of chatter online about why didn't they cancel? Why didn't they do this or that? But at the end of the day, it's the Rolling Stones, and you're going to get to see the Rolling Stones in a very special new lineup that hopefully will be a temporary 
mm-hmm. course correction until Charlie's well enough to get back on the road. Well, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, like if you were willing to wait three hours while they got bailed out and wherever that was, Secaucus, I'm going to say it's there, waiting to see if uh, they're going to burn down the city of Boston, you know, and they come on at two or three in the morning. You know, people romanticize. Or, or dodge a hurricane in Miami 2019, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's it's interesting because people people say, oh, why aren't things like they were in the old days? And it's like, well, there's just as much calamity. That was the last show they did was <laughs> the, the, the hurricane show in 2019. You got Keith falling off a jet ski. You know, whatever you want, you yeah. got it. You know, Ronnie wrestling a shark. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. No, but, but these are, these, this is, this is life, you know, this is life itself. This is the dynamism of a musical life, you know, and there's, there's nothing to it other than the fact that it is imperfect and it's dirty and it's messy. Yeah. You know, something also this week that I wanted to mention that Keith also commented on because he sent a fax like he still does in the year of our Lord 2021 was Tony Bennett did his 95th birthday show at Radio City Music Hall this week. From all accounts, I mean, the guy has advanced Alzheimer's, but from all accounts, he still could perform to an outstanding level at age 95. And Keith sent a birthday congratulations. And he said, I'm following. You lead the way. I'm right behind yeah, you. Yeah. You know, and I, I really feel like they've got many more adventures to come. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't know if you watched that um, Johnny Winter documentary that's on Amazon, and it's 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 hard to watch, honestly. It gets very intense towards the end. Mm-hmm. But there's a bit with Derek Trucks, and he says, "Oh, people complain about this." Is obviously it was made many years ago, and and he says people complain about BB King talking too much uh, at the shows, and I don't care. Let him talk; he's earned it, you know. And we all can sit there with our arms crossed and say, well, they should have played Gomper. <laughs> they, you know, they didn't do this part the way I, the most important nitpicky thing on a record that I like the most, they omitted. And that's why it's all invalid. If you go to it with the attitude of openness and seeing what they have for you that night and commit to enjoyment because that's what the purpose of music is it's enjoyment we're not supposed to sit back and stroke our beards and tut tut you know and say what's to be done with these rolling stones if you go there and you have a good time you know that's it that's the night you know fine it's expensive i i hate how expensive it is but what are you gonna go see aerosmith no (laughs) I don't mean that. Like, but there's no band. Even Aerosmith wants to go see the Stones, right? Whoever it is, they're still the biggest act. They are still just this amazing cultural repository of wisdom, of learning, and of 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 a style that it's not going to be around forever. Yeah, and it will. Life goes on, you know. One empire rises and falls, but like this particular entity will not exist forever. And I hate to realize that (laughs) I've been in denial for far too long, but that's what makes it, that's what makes it valuable. I think is that it is impermanent and it is imperfect. And, you know, Lord knows we all need 
a party to uplift our spirits oh, at this point. I I've think. been I've been getting in shape so I can whip my shirt off. <laughs> I'm ready for it. We're gonna go down to River Point. If they come up to Canada, 2022, we'll be the middle-aged guys whipping our shirts around. <laughs> We're gonna get down to River Point. We're gonna do it <laughs> one of these days. All right. Well, we better uh, draw yeah. a line under it on that disgusting Before note. We- <laughs> Uh, well until whenever the next time may be and no promises here Uh, but uh, write to us if you enjoyed the show Uh, our email address is rollingstonespodcast at gmail.com put all your Uh, money in the form of a cashier's check and and send it to us if you like the show I'm glad Uh, I don't know how many of you are still out there waiting by your podcast machine but please do go back and subscribe and, and check out the other episodes and tell other people who might enjoy it to do the same. Cause that's literally the only way people find out about this. Uh, go on Facebook. We still got a Facebook page there. It's, it's getting a little dusty and cobwebby, but if you search for under the radar, a Rolling Stones podcast, we're there. Yeah. And uh, hang loose, everybody. Still the only elder millennial Rolling Stones podcast. <laughs> Wherever fine podcasts are sold. And with that, I'm going to say it this time. Until the next time we say goodbye. Hey. Very nice.